Hi, I'm Life Coach Mama, a life coach for moms who want to find more joy and more peace in their marriage and in their parenting. My husband and I have eight kids. We love having a big family and often hear the phrase, you've got your hands full. Come and join me as I interview moms of all ages and in all stages from around the world. Be encouraged, find inspiration and confidence that you can handle another kid. And if this is a topic that interests you, please check out my book, Have Another Kid Without Losing It. Available for purchase today on Amazon by Lauren Laboda. Welcome back, listeners. Part three with Anna Grace Schaefer. So we have more to talk about with NFP. Always. I mean, you could do a whole NFP podcast, you know, maybe you should. I'd love it. Okay. (laughs) But thanks for coming back. Got your hands full. And we did a lot of just the, I don't know, natural law side of NFP. Why natural family planning is good for our bodies. Why it's good for our health. um, Why a woman learning about her cycle is great for physical and emotional and sex life and your marriage, right? So I'd like to talk about today why it's even a thing, because I think most people, I think it's common knowledge that Catholics don't believe in birth control, but there's a lot of misunderstandings, misconceptions, Mm -hmm. a lot of lack of knowledge as to what that actually means. Like Mm -hmm. even practicing Catholics think it's the rhythm method. Interesting to me. It's really fascinating Mm -hmm. that we don't know more about it. We don't talk more about it. So I'm so glad you're here to shed light on just the whole topic of natural film planning. But can you tell us like why the Catholic church teaches it? Okay. Really broad spectrum. There mm-hmm. are kind of two camps. The first being like a providentialist mindset, okay. which is, uh, I think several Protestant religions hold to like, if you are having sex and having babies, um, you have no right to limit the number of children you have or, mm-hmm even a right to understand mm-hmm. in some cases, the process of having children and that like when they come, it's God's will, mm. um, which gets a little crazy, <laughs> but of course it like every, um, like every full m- many philosophies, there's a lot of, there's nuggets of truth in sure. that, right. Yeah. Which is partially that God creates human beings where I can't do that by myself. Like right. we're co-creators with God. So yeah. I think the providentialist mindset is partially true, right? In the, in the sense that like most of the human making process belongs to God. Then there's the other, the other kind of side of the spectrum, which might say that I want to have complete autonomy and control over my fertility, over how many children I have, when I have them, if I have them at all. Um, even if I choose to have sex at any given time. So right in the middle, which is usually where the church is <laughs> and where the truth is, right. is kind of taking the truth of both of those sides into account in that, like, God doesn't want to use you as a vessel to bear children and, and nothing else. But there's a lot, like 90, I don't even know the percentage of, of the process of creating human life is unknown to us. Like, mm-hmm. even if you use the pill perfectly, or if mm-hmm. you use NFP perfectly, there's a percentage that you have no control over. And yeah. we all know the stories of 
you know, yeah. conception on a day that it was impossible to conceive and okay, well, God has different plans for you, mm -hmm. but somewhere in there is his desire for you to understand the process and to mm -hmm. understand your own body mm -hmm. and to take an active role in discerning his will for mm -hmm. your life and, and for your family. Yeah. And, um, and for what is good and going to like help you to flourish and feel joy and satisfaction. So right in there is where NFP lives, mm -hmm. I think in this kind of tumultuous, mm -hmm. like dichotomy that's going on in the world right now. If mm -hmm. we could, if we were just supposed to just bear children mm -hmm. whenever God wanted us to, wouldn't we just be fertile all the time? Mm -hmm. Or not. But women are mostly infertile, like mm -hmm. just minute to minute. God has never been afraid of us learning about ourselves. Right. <laughs> you know, he's, he's the author of yeah. life. He wants us to discover what he's created. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the control over that mm -hmm. creation that I think is where human beings take a turn. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you said that because I've never heard it that way and totally agree that the truth is in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, there really aren't a lot of people on that providential side, mm -hmm. but I think you're right in that that is the other extreme. And I would say that that is the picture that society or I don't even say non-Catholics. I think Catholics, I've talked to mostly, I mean, a lot of people I hang around are Catholic and they have the misconception that the Catholic church is wants you to be providential. Yes. So as soon as they ask me, you know, why I have so many kids or, you know, why I do NFP or what I think about birth control, mm -hmm. then it goes to, oh, you must just pop out babies all the time. Yeah. So I do think it's a good to point, bring up, to point mm -hmm. out that other extreme because it is not true. Right. And we do want to kind of bust some myths. So number one, NFP is the calendar method. So just as time has gone on, right? Theology has developed, science mm -hmm. has developed, mm -hmm. like all these things. Um, and with theology and science developing, we have come closer and closer to an understanding of how, when that began, when that theology and the science kind of started churning most in the church was around the time of the, the biggest kind of boom was around the time of the sexual revolution, like in the 50s, 60s, 70s. But the method came on the scene, an understanding of the fact that women ovulate at a certain point in their cycle. Mm -hmm. And then if you avoid intercourse at that point, you should also avoid pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Not stupid by any means, but way too simple. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so that's where the rhythm method said, um, or the calendar calendar rhythm method, that if women avoid intercourse on day 14 of their cycle, then they should avoid pregnancy. And I, as far as I know, many of our grandmothers or great grandmothers would have kind of been told to follow this, mm -hmm. um, probably like in passing by their priest mm -hmm. who didn't really know yeah, anything about it. Yeah. And who didn't want to talk about it. So I'm not denying it. No, but things have developed yes, since then. So that's not true. And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to say, you know, well, we thought that then, you know, and we know differently now. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, God have mercy on all the people who believe that and pushed it. I mean, well, it was better than yeah, just have kids. Right. No. And it's, I, we're trying I mean, to, I'm not trying to minimize that it probably sucked to find out that most women, like, I think it's maybe 3% of women will ovulate on day three, day 14 of theirs, like, like very small amount. Um, and it's not consistent, obviously. That being said, like I had a very Catholic grandma, maternal grandmother and a very Mormon paternal mm. grandmother. And so I know neither of them, Plus they were born in the twenties. Like they didn't, yeah. it wasn't even, you know, wouldn't be using it, contraception. Right. And both had three children. Yeah. So like the idea that if you don't use contraception, you're like 25 kids. Yeah. And my grand, my paternal grandmother got married, I think at 20. And I think my paternal grandmother got married at like 18. So, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't, Yeah. like they had fertile time. <laughs> right. Well, there's so many things in this, right? Because yeah. we also, in this 
culture. I mean, I've only lived in this culture in my mm-hmm. lifetime. I mm-hmm. don't know if it's existed in other ones, but it, again, especially since the sexual revolution, not to poo-poo on the sexual revolution. Like no, let's just all, but I know. I, it's yeah. ruined our lives. Oh, totally. I just don't want to spend all the time doing that. Oh, yeah. But That's that like, people think they have a right to have sex 24 hours a day of their whole life. First of all, nobody actually wants to do that. It, like <laughs> you just, you'll lose the stamina. And second of all, like, because we think of that as an absolute right, uh-huh. like I feel jaded when all of a sudden I can't have sex. I, I'm telling these couples who have never had sex and who are faithful to the magisterium that they'll, mm-hmm. they're going to have to abstain sometimes. And they're like, what? <laughs> like they, because it's so ingrained in us from the culture, from mm-hmm. the world that like, well, you and, think about all the times where a doctor would tell you, you know, six weeks postpartum, right. don't have sex. You're not like arguing with the doctor. Right. And yet, yeah. you know, and the church says it would be good to abstain at this point. You're like, well, don't tell me what to do. Yes. And the culture has succeeded in, I mean, and the devil has succeeded in many ways in the culture to separate the consequences of sex from sex. Mm. So like psychological consequences, the unitive consequences between Mm -hmm. a man and a woman. Okay. Back up. Yeah. So myth number two. Oh yeah. You didn't know I was going to do this. I just thought you last minute. I love it. Myth number two. uh, The church shouldn't be in my bedroom. Mm. What do you say? Yeah. So when I'm hearing, okay. So I've heard this argument from many angles when I'm hearing it from someone who just doesn't want to listen to somebody else. <laughs> say like, well, that's an immature argument because yeah. I used to tell my mom to stay off my stuff and <laughs> she had every right to be in my stuff. Um, so like wanting someone to be involved in your decision-making and then like whining about it mm. is, you know, so because theoretically in, in one way they're asking the church to be a part of their life mm-hmm. either because they want the sacraments for their family or for themselves mm-hmm. Um, and then in another way, don't want to, I mean, and you could do a whole other podcast on cafeteria Catholicism. Mm. Um, but why, I think if I can get to the root of a question with somebody who actually wants to know why the church has a right mm-hmm. or the authority rather. The yeah, authority. So, so in some cases, it's not a question. It's just a comment, like back like off. whining. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I, <laughs> but my understanding mm-hmm. is that the, the, the purpose of the church is to be God's representative on earth. Mm-hmm. And if the, if the point of God (laughs) is to sanctify his creation, to come back to him, then we have to allow him access into every part of our life. Mm. Then you can get to why, okay, then why does this body of people of mostly old men Mm -hmm. on earth have the authority to tell me what to do in the bedroom? Mm. It's because many, many, many smart and holy people have come to a many brilliant and beautiful conclusions about what the human body is, how, Mm -hmm. why it was created and what it's created for Mm -hmm. that sex fits into really, really deeply because Mm -hmm. sex is a really big part of the human person. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, it's not like saying, um, you know, why does the church, why does the church get to tell me what to do with my money? You know, there's, there's actually conversations to be had about like, okay, what parts of, um, my, uh, finances need to be ordered, you know, toward, philanthropy or for, you know, for the church, the human person, it it belongs to God. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so it's like, it's more so like, why wouldn't the church and why wouldn't God want us? Yeah. That's a good point. Cause you're kind of, if we know anything about ourselves, that we know nothing about ourselves. Yeah. Like, so whatever you give to God is like, how nice of you. Like, and I'm not being generous. Don't investigate. I'm not saying don't investigate that. Like, you know, I, I, yeah, don't the, blindly just yes. I think that the generations who um, just accepted every answer that 
you know, every question that they had about the faith or about God or about their themselves that they just accepted, you know, well, that's in the catechism as this, this, or this, that didn't work out for them. You know, we see these, these, um, those questions come back up if you don't have a real solid answer. And if we could say, which many people do, and it's great, we could say like, go ask the Lord about that. Mm. Okay, that's a great question. Why does God have, have any authority in the bedroom mm. <laughs> over you or your body? Um, why does he have any opinion mm-hmm. about it? Go ask him. Mm-hmm. It'd be a great thing to pray about and mm-hmm. pray through. Like, I think it also has a negative connotation. Like he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't care. Or um, this belongs to me only. But it's kind of funny. Like if you understand your body the way the church teaches or God does, like, well, yeah, like you said, everything comes from God and it's God's design. And mm-hmm. But it's also like, um, well, you want to understand your husband or your wife better, like maybe figure out God or, you know, you, you want to mm-hmm. understand sex better. Like, hmm, maybe the person who created it, like, yeah. why does it feel good? Like, yes. why is it better when it's done in marriage? Like, why is it proven that, you know, married committed people are happier and like have a better sex life? Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to have a good sex life? Like, yeah, it's funny. Cause we think, oh, sex is not holy but mm-hmm. it's like the opposite is true well that's what i was just gonna so, say myth number would, three yes well oh why is that sex holy? has like sex has nothing to do with god i yeah. guess or, yeah like, sex is um gross or bad or um, i don't know what are some other adjectives like dirty um, um yeah um i mean maybe yeah, dirty is a good one say that this story has been coming back up that when i was a teenager and st- struggling with chastity and um talking to a priest and was just like overcome with the difficulty mm-hmm. of chastity. I just, nobody around me was practicing any form of chastity or self-control. And I, and I, I mean, I was really struggling with like, how can this be true? Mm. Like how, because, and again, the world and the culture has done a really, really good job mm. at kind of inundating, especially adolescents in this way mm. that, and I will never forget when the priest told me, Anna, one day, you will have sex with your husband with pictures of Jesus and Mary hanging in your room and you will not think that is weird. Mm. And I had the most visceral reaction to that idea. Mm. Like could not imagine that being true. Yeah. Which of course now it's like the most true thing. Like I take those pictures. But I just, down. I, I don't, I never want to forget that, that like, mm. you know, when I was fooling around as a teenager and didn't know anything about myself or about the Lord, like, yeah, I'd have to like cover statues up or like, you know, or I don't know if I actually did that, but that, that would have made sense to me because of how, um, twisted that had become in my heart and I mean, in my life and mm-hmm. every, everybody's mouth around me, like mm-hmm. that, that sex was not something that was holy or beautiful or sacred mm-hmm. or connecting. It was something that you had to do because you were young and your hormones were raging. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the best answer they could give me. <laughs> it's like, why does everybody have to do this though? Um, so, so you don't get pregnant. That's the only reason. Well, yes, that's true. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that's so the, the, the fact that it's that, and I mean, of course, everybody who's come to ever know the truth very deeply, like it's hard to imagine not. So I've tried yeah. to remember that story as like, mm. no, that's how actually people feel is like that. Mm. I would have to take down a picture of Jesus in my room so that I could accomplish what I wanted to like, you know, in the bedroom. And not that what I was doing was like, super kinky or weird it was just like normal high school sexual activity but like that's that that's just how twisted it became and we know that Mm -hmm. satan twists everything good the most right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and human life is like 
the probably the best good that humans can accomplish with God. Being a co-creator with God is something that people should talk about more, how mm-hmm. cool that is. Mm-hmm. I've heard other, I think Matt Frad, talk about this before, that like the only time somebody is within another person mm-hmm. that we know of, right, is sex, pregnancy, and the Eucharist. All of those things are incredibly holy and amazing. Mm. And if I have a reaction to one of those things that makes me feel icky or like there's some scandal or like something like taboo there, mm. then I need to suss that out in my own heart. Like, why is that happening? Okay. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that because even though the myth of sex being bad or, or not good or dirty or whatever isn't necessarily NFP related, well, it's not an NFP myth Mm -hmm. it's more of a sex myth but it brings the theology and the catholic church teaching and it kind of explains that second myth of why does it matter like why is the church in the bedroom Mm -hmm. Um, so i think it's good to bring that up because nfp isn't just about being open to life like i know people hear about nfp and they think you're just talking about being pregnant Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. like you've said so many times there's a lot more to nfp yeah because people who are infertile use it and people who are you know past the woman is past um you know menopause Mm -hmm. using nfp right Mm -hmm. so or they're open to life at least yes or Or the principles of it yeah right so another myth myth number four Mm -hmm. uh is that if you use nfp then you're controlling just like birth control so why not just Mm -hmm. use birth control right yeah so something that i have realized after teaching NFP for a few years mm-hmm. is that, and even in myself, I realized even in myself mm-hmm. and in my clients that when we come to NFP, um, whether or not you come from a like faith background or not, a lot of times it's a grasp at control mm-hmm. over, um, your sex life and your procreation <laughs> that, um, that just needs to be tempered because mm-hmm. again, Part of that is true in that God wants you to have a say, right? Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't want to use your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also know that most of that process is unknown to us. It's a total mystery. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. to make a soul. Yeah. And, um, and even if you do all of the things perfectly, even mm-hmm. if you got a vasectomy, even if you got your tubes tied, even if you have a, a hysterectomy, you can still get pregnant. There's like documented cases. So point there being that we just don't know everything that mm-hmm. there is to know. Mm-hmm. So the way that I have started to teach NFP is with a big conversation in the beginning mm-hmm. about managing expectations that, um, yes, and I, you know, tailor this a little bit differently if people are coming from a faith background or not, but, um, in the Catholic world, yes, God wants you to have a say. He, he, he doesn't want to use you blindly, um, for his own, you know, be fruitful and multiply, <laughs> ideas but um he has a plan for you mm-hmm. that we want to cooperate with for our flourishing for our holiness and to, to ultimately be united to him so how do we mix those two things by understanding as much as we can about our bodies and how and the process and how it works and all of those things should if rightly ordered lead us to understanding god's will better mm-hmm. but that's only a slice of the pie mm-hmm. we think I mean, and I thought coming to NFP that I was gaining the pie. Like I, I was going to understand my body. I was going to have control over this. And I was coming from an infertility place where I was like, finally, I'm going to have the knowledge and the understanding to make what I want to happen, happen. 
-hmm. And even people coming who are, you know, hyper fertile, quote unquote, a lot of people say, are coming from the same place. I want to have the knowledge to make what I want to happen happen. We were, we wanted different ends, but the, the, the means were the same when really what we're doing by learning NFP is just understanding a slice of the pie, like God throwing us a bone and saying, here's a little bit about human fertility that I have given the human race to understand. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and understand that so that mm-hmm. you can cooperate with my will. Um, and is he's not, you know, it's much more loving than that, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Did that answer the myth? Yeah, that was great. I think the fifth myth that I hear is, since you brought up infertility, is that if if I'm struggling with infertility, then the only answer is IVF and mm-hmm. you know these sort of uh, invasive treatments, and that the church just needs to accept it and you know get with the times. Yeah, yeah. So, so many things here because then you could do a whole thing about in vitro fertilization and what that does to the human person. But, um, bare basics is that IVF is a, um, a form of science that takes too far, um, our control of the human person. Um, I mean, yeah, that's probably as specific about IVF as I can go. And I'm, I'm sure I've said this statistic before, or this fact before, but whenever somebody asks me about IVF, um, they'll usually quote the like really, really high um, success rates that mm. IVF claims. 99 yeah. to 100% success mm. in couples um, that, that choose to use it. Mm. So let's play this out. A couple has infertility, uh, supposedly. Well, a couple is told by a doctor who'd had, who runs no tests and who does no in, like, uh, investigating into any health problems that a couple has come to them and said, we've had trouble conceiving. They take that couple for their word and say, okay, go to this clinic down the road. I will get a kickback for that as the doctor who sends you there. Um, pay $60,000 a pop, 50 to $60,000 pop right now, um, per embryo that they will, you know, get from the, the egg and the sperm from the both of you and make in a Petri dish, keep in the freezer. Um, and now the, that couple is putting together in their mind the billboard that they saw outside that says 90 to 100% success rates. Okay, so let's take a couple that actually does have medical infertility. And medical infertility, um, in a broad sense, means that a couple has tried to conceive for one year and has been unsuccessful um, without any contraceptive at all. If a couple has done Creighton, for six months and still has not conceived, that's enough for us to call it infertility because it's so pointed and it just kind of shortens the timeline. So let's say they really do have a medical problem that's causing them uh, an issue to conceive. The statistic, the 99 to 100% statistic that an IVF clinic will claim does not include couples with actual medical infertility. (laughs) They will remove those people from the study because it's much harder to get them pregnant and a nor- like couple with normal fertility, which means, unfortunately, that... God, I love that about statistics. Those, oh yeah. I mean, you could twist any statistic to look how you want it, but it means that the couples who are getting IVF and are a part of that statistic did not have to pay $60,000. I mean, and you're, you're usually doing three embryos minimum. Mm. So they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for no reason. Generally, they don't know when to have sex or they might have a slight um, like vitamin or mineral deficiency that is provided when you do the IVF Mm. um, medical stuff. So with a medical approach like NAPRO technology in Creighton, um, which we've addressed in other podcasts, I think, um, 
80, about 80% success rates can be seen in couples with actual medical infertility. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that that statistic would be higher if they, mm-hmm. if they had the money to run more testing now mm-hmm. um, and get more data. But because they actually find the root of the problem, causing the infertility, and then heal that so that the couple can get pregnant. Right. So much better for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've, I have seen many, many, many a couple who has forced a pregnancy, not necessarily through IVF, but maybe through a more invasive... Um, like medical protocol, Clomid or something like that, and they haven't healed the issue beneath. And parenthood is much harder <laughs> when you have a chronic underlying illness, when you're tired all the time, or, you know. So it's like there's so many things to get into there. But yeah. Well, one last myth, just to wrap it up, is that you can be Christian, pro-life, a good Catholic, and use contraception. That has nothing to do. Like being pro-life is just being. You know, anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. So the whole term open to life encompasses a lot. A couple comes to me and they say, well, we are anti-abortion. We don't accept the death penalty, um, but we would like to use the pill. Um, and we you know, have certain feelings about contracepting. I would first say, I understand where you're coming from. I understand the desire to have control over this area of your life. I I desire to have control over every area of my life and God is sanctifying that in me. But um, I, I'll give them some tools to understand the church teaching here. So one of them is the knowledge that the mechanism of action for the contraceptive pill is abortifacient. What that means is that um, usually the pill will try to stop the woman's body from ovulating. If that is not accomplished, which we aren't totally sure about how often that happens, then the pill will stop the woman's uterine lining from forming um, thick or nutritious enough to be able to hold a human life, in which case it will abort that human life. So if a couple is using the pill, they are um, very likely, I I wish I had a statistic, um, over many years to have aborted children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an abortifacient. It's, it's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that, that risk is just not worth it. Yeah. Um, and is that the same with IUD? Um, yes. Yeah. IUD maybe even more so because okay. the main mechanism of action with an IUD is to keep the uterine lining thin. Okay. So yeah. So it's just not, so consistent. we like to think that it just keeps you from getting pregnant and not think stops you from ovulating, which would be great. And it, and many times it does, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yeah, that's always interesting because the Catholic church is the church that kept that teaching where it's like the Protestant churches had it, but let it yeah. go. Yes. Um, so people who are faithful and pro-life in a Christian church might not get why we even talk about this or why it matters, but not about I'm knows. finding more and more Protestants who are, consistently pro-life which i would mean don't use contraception either mm. yeah which is mm-hmm. pretty great mm-hmm. so. even though the church doesn't teach us so yeah that's right. impressive i know wonderful well mm-hmm. do you have any other myths you want to bring up yeah. i will one? say i will just say that if if you are listening to this podcast and you struggle with this teaching like a myth would be that you don't accept church teaching um everybody struggles with church teachings all the time <laughs> There's so many church teachings that I have to continually go back to the Lord and say, like, can you please explain this to me more? And I go and seek wise counsel, as scripture tells us to do. And I go and read church teaching. And I, um, you know, I want to form my heart after God's heart. 
And so if this is something, um, contraception or sex or, you know, pro-life, any, any one of these many topics that we've touched on, um, hits you a little funny, that doesn't mean that you're a bad Catholic or a bad Christian or that you don't love God. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that there's further seeking to do and more that the Lord wants to do in your heart and in my heart, um, in this area. And, um, that can all be accomplished without too much pain. Like it doesn't have to be this, you know, my world's turning upside down situation. Um, and so, and, and the people that, you know, who use contraception or who aren't pro-life, um, it doesn't mean that they are bad people or that, um, you know, they're never going to come to understand the truth. Just like whenever, yeah, just like how I explained whenever I, feel I need to know more about a topic. I go to the Lord, I go to church teaching, I seek wise counsel. I, I want to form my conscience to know what's true. So yeah. So if that's you listening to this, then that can happen. And that's, that's all good. And it just mm-hmm. takes time and mm-hmm. prayer. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all your time. You're just my, my, pleasure. my number one guest. I love like it. Coming back. I love it. My most repeated guest. <laughs> Yay! What an honor. But I do want to have you back and talk about adoption. Yeah, I think we'll need a great. whole episode just for that. Okay, I wanted to squeeze it in, but I don't think it's I love happening. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Anna and her husband Owen are adopting, and yeah, adoption is definitely a part of Got Your Hands Full podcast. So that will be our next interview when Anna comes back. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Love you. Love you too. 